is Nadine. This is John. This is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week, we'll be reviewing my list pick, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which was released in 1989. Just as a forewarning, Dan and I got another dog. We got a puppy. Um, we tried starting the recording about 15. Recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he ripped out my headphones, peed on the carpet. <laughs> For the first couple ones. And it's I think it's he's doing it because he's mad I'm not giving him his full attention. So if you hear chaos in the background, it's from him, more than likely. <laughs> uh the hamster wheel might go, and our husky right now seems to be calm. He's probably having a break from the puppy. So yep. let's get started. Dan, if you want to give us some box office stats. <laughs> All right. So Bill and Tud's excellent adventure. This movie it had a six point five million dollar budget. It almost made that back. It made $6.1 million on its opening weekend. Then the domestic total was $40 million. So uh, pretty good numbers. Nominations. Had three nominations. Didn't win any awards. It has a seven stars on IMDb. 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. And slightly under that movie audience score, which is actually was a surprise to me at 75%. All right, Nadine, give me some interesting movie facts about this. Awesome. So while the baby's sleeping, I'm going to let you know uh, that Alex Winter claims that he gets two types of letters from teachers, positive ones from history teachers for encouraging students to learn about history, and negative ones from English teachers for affecting the way students speak. In the original script, the time machine was a 1969 Chevy van. The filmmakers thought that was too similar to Back to the Future from 1985, so they changed it to a phone booth, apparently unconcerned that Doctor Who from 1963 uses a police telephone box as a time machine. And also their uh, their travel sequences was very similar to, uh, very, very similar to Doctor Who as well. It really is, if anyone, you know, watches Doctor Who in this who listens to this anyway in the film bill and ted claim that they need edward van halen in their band to make it better after the film was released he jokingly said he would have joined their band if they had just asked when napoleon finishes his water slide presentation at the end of the movie ted looks up and says i don't think it's gonna work he's actually diagramming napoleon bonaparte's most disastrous defeat the french invasion of russia Originally, the plot was to have Bill and Ted visit and accidentally cause all of history's greatest tragedies, including the sinking of the Titanic and the crash of the Hindenburg. That would have been fantastic if that was in there. <laughs> that probably would have been kind of funny. Dark, but funny. So Bill and Ted began as a stand-up act in which the characters would discuss current events without knowing what they were talking about. It originally included a third character named Bob, but the comedian who played him lost interest after a few performances. Ed Solomon and Chris Matheson wrote the script by hand on notepaper during a series of meetings at local coffee shops. They finished in four days. Principal photography was completed in 1987, but the film's original financiers, D. Laurentiis Entertainment Group, went bankrupt. The film was in danger of being dumped onto cable television until Nelson Entertainment brought the rights in 1988 and released it in 1989. The German dub has gained cult classic status in Germany. It is credited with coining the words Hoshi for dude, and Brana Ten Stark for excellent. Brana Ten Stark. <laughs> right? Like, that's the most horrible way to say excellent. Anyway, the quote, be excellent to each other, is replaced with more philosophical line, which translates as a colorful and excellent is the being. Yep, that's German for you. 
Okay. Some of the German dub catchphrases, e.g. Volkan Hoshi, became so popular that they became part of the language. Additionally, some scenes contain either altered or extra dialogue, such in the scene when Bill and Ted meet their future selves. In the German version, they ask, if you guys are really us, of which famous toothpick celebrity are we thinking right now? And their future selves reply, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Also, when Bill and Ted are in the castle and try to move inside their armors, before they scream heavy metal, Ted tells a joke that doesn't exist in any form in the original version. The textbook used by Bill and Ted in the film was a real high school history textbook used in California schools in the late 1980s. Bill says, let's reach out and touch someone before they use the booth for the first time. It's an old slogan for the Bell System phone company associated with advertising campaign that introduced touch tone telephones in the late 1960s. According to Alex Winter, filming in the phone booth was so unpleasant that he and Keanu Reeves nicknamed it the death box. Yeah, I mean, that thing literally looked like just a scrap of metal that was completely unventilated at all. All right, so I will go ahead and go over the movie synopsis. The movie begins with a giant gold gem coming out of an elaborate blue ceiling. The gold gem then slowly descends to the floor, and once it hits the floor, Rufus begins to tell the audience how great the future, the year 206088, is like. He then goes to explain that the two people responsible for the future being so great ran into trouble in the past, and that he has to go back in time to help them out. The scene shifts to show Bill and Ted in a garage recording a quote-unquote music video. While the two are playing, they manage to short the speakers and realize afterwards that they're late for school. In history, Bill and Ted manage to fail every question the teacher asks them, and as they are leaving the class, the teacher, Mr. Ryan, informs them that they are flunking class. Mr. Ryan also informs the two that in order to pass the class, they have to get an A-plus on the oral report that is due the next day. When as the boys leave the school and get into Bill's stepmom, or Missy's, car, they realize exactly how much trouble they are in for their oral report. When Ted arrives home, he runs into his dad as he's looking for work keys. His father immediately tells him he knows he's failing out of history and that if Ted doesn't pass, he'll be sent off to a military school. Upset at the reminder, Ted comes back to the car and tells Bill they have to pass or they can't be a band anymore. The scene then shifts to 2688, where Rufus and the three most important people in the world are discussing Bill and Ted's possible separation. The three then change the gold gym from the beginning of the movie into a telephone booth that Rufus then uses to travel back to 1988, 600 or 700 years prior. Rufus lands in the parking lot of a convenience store Bill and Ted are at and explains to them that he is there to help them with their history report. Just as Rufus tells them this, another phone booth lands in the parking lot and another Bill and Ted exit. The second set of Bill and Ted tell the original Bill and Ted that they will go back in time and listen to Rufus. After seeing that, Bill and Ted are on board and eagerly hop into the phone booth with Rufus. Rufus then takes Bill and Ted to Napoleon's invasion of Russia, where they accidentally take Napoleon back to their own time. Once they discover Napoleon, the two come up with an idea to collect historical figures to use for their oral report. On their way back to collect historical figures, the two have Ted's younger brother Deacon watch Napoleon. The best part of this movie. As two go to leave, Ted's father stops to tell him that he can't leave the house until the next day, as it's already decided Ted is going to military school. Ted's father then gets a call from work, and the two hop into the phone booth and travel to the Old West to collect another historical figure. When the two arrive, they immediately enter a saloon where they run into Billy the Kid. Billy cons Bill and Ted into a fixed card game and are found out. 
A bar fight breaks out from this, and Bill and Ted saves Billy's life by escaping into the time machine. The three then land themselves in ancient Athens, Greece, and end up running into Socrates. Bill and Ted then convince Socrates, another amazing character, to follow them by quoting Kansas, and the group of four head back into the telephone booth. The four land themselves into 15th century England, and Bill and Ted head towards the castle nearby. As the two enter the castle gates, they see two princesses on a balcony, and they decide that, well, they have to meet them. The two then disguise themselves in suits of armor and begin to goof off with the swords. As the two sword fight, Ted accidentally falls down a flight of stairs, alerting the people in the castle of their presence. The two decide to leave the castle and end up running into the princesses and somehow manage to charm them. Just as they begin to hit it off, they're caught by the princess's father and sentenced to get their heads cut off. Just as Bill and Ted thought they were dead, the executioners cut them free and reveal themselves to be Socrates and Billy the Kid. Just as the four are about to travel in time, a knight hits the antenna on the phone booth, and they all travel to 2688. Bill and Ted meet the three most important people in the world when they exit the time machine and find the people during that time idolize them. The scene then switches to show Napoleon and Ted's younger brother at a bowling alley eating ice cream. Napoleon refused to share his ice cream with the kids and managed to chase Deacon and his friends away with his behavior. As Napoleon is making a fool of himself, Bill and Ted collect Sigmund Freud, Beethoven, Joan of Arc, Genghis Khan, and Abraham Lincoln. Just as they were to travel back to their own time, Ted figured out the reason why the booth stopped working. It was because the antenna was broken by the night. The group ends up landing in a prehistoric era to fix the antenna with gum. After they fix the antenna, they travel to the parking lot of the convenience store to see themselves from earlier that day talking to Rufus. They immediately hop out and talk to their past selves. As they go to leave, Rufus reminds them to dial one number higher to get to the correct time and that they only have two hours left to get ready for their oral report. The two then hop back into the phone booth and travel to the next day where they land in Bill's backyard. As they leave the phone booth, Bill and Ted introduce the people that exit to Missy and ask for a ride. Missy does give a bit of pause when she meets the historical figures, but then insists that Bill does his chores before he gives him a ride. Cue the scene of the gang of historical figures, quickly helping Bill with his chores before they head off to the mall to distract the historical figures as they're going to collect Napoleon from Ted's brother, Deacon. Once they find Deacon, they find out that he ditched Napoleon and set off to find him, thinking he may have gone to the water park in town. The scene then switches to show that, sure enough, Napoleon had gone to the water, water park and was making a general ass out of himself in the slides. As Bill and Ted drag Napoleon out of the water park, the historical figures they left at the mall are wrecking havoc. After making a scene and destroying some of the stores, the historical figures are taken into custody by Ted's dad. When Ted goes to the historical figures, get the historical figures out of jail, Ted's dad lets him know that he's going to military school. Upset with the news, Ted goes outside to tell Bill they can't get the historical figures out of jail because of his dad. Bill then comes up with a way to steal Ted's dad's keys and break out the historical figures with his stepmom Missy's help. The two then slowly sneak them out through the window of the jail and escape just as Ted's dad enters the cell area. Bill and Ted then rush to the school's auditorium to do their oral report just before they let everyone go. Much as the two hoped, their oral report was a success at the help of the historical figures, and the group exit the auditorium by entering the time machine. The scene then shifts to show Bill and Ted in Ted's garage playing guitar when Rufus comes in with the two women Bill and Ted had met in the Middle Ages. 
Rufus then tells the boys that they are the base of society in the future and gives them some guitars. The movie ends with the boys and the women from the Middle Ages playing for Rufus. Which, this... I'm going to be entirely honest with you, Nadine. Before we start with the review, <laughs> that could not have come at a better time. Well, the moment I finished reading... Sorry, Axel uh, had something. That's amazing. Thank you for the input, Axel. And I agree with you. This movie, Nadine, is chaotic. Pure, unadulterated okay chaos. And it had every single cliche thing. Well, now cliche. I don't know if it was cliche back then. Every single 1980s cliche stuffed into it. And then it felt like they ripped directly off of Doctor Who. That's exactly That's what the movie feels like. <laughs> I mean, you're not entirely wrong there, but... See, I agree, actually. So, See, he's agreeing, too. Movie. He's yelling at you. What are you talking about? <laughs> No, he isn't. He's squeaking in delight because he agrees with me. Now, one of the things, uh, one of the things um, that really kind of, really kind of got me with this movie, and one of the biggest things is how old um, is Missy? Missy is actually. Isn't she, she a senior, senior of the high school? When Bill and Ted were freshmen. So she's like extremely fucking young, getting on with her. Uh, that's with her yeah, underclassman's yeah. dad. And she makes him that call her mom. Like that's the best part yeah. about it. That's just funny to me. Because she's like, "Oh, hey, Missy." He's like, "I'm your mother." Oh, <laughs> no. When I uh, when I originally watched this movie, uh, one of the things I will say is that the the music of the movie is really well done, and I think that's probably the best feature of the movie that it's got. Um, besides the entire scene with Napoleon, I could live to see the entire movie of just Napoleon in daily life. That was fucking hilarious. Like I, I rewatched the slide scene. He's, he is pretty it was funny. That good. Him fucking throwing kids out of the way. Him getting mistaken for a kid, even though he's, like, clearly, like, 40. Just because he's short. Like, that's so hilarious. Yeah, it's, that's very on-the-nose humor, I think, is what makes this movie. It's, it's like a signature of the 80s. Like, it was done a lot in uh, Weird Science, but I think this movie does it in a more cohesive way and... A way that I really like. Sorry, there's a, a husky jumping on the back. But uh, well, when I I said something in the chat earlier, actually, that uh, it's funny that you mentioned weird science because I said this movie gives me a lot of weird science vibes, a lot it's, of them. The same generic plot that seems to go across every 1980s movies of two really dumb, really dumb teenagers. Getting absolutely fucking lucky in one way or another, right? And that's exactly what this movie is. And then you add all of the sciencey bullshit. It, it just—it's like this is weird history compared to weird science. That's basically what this is. Also, Attila the Hun is is fucking glorious, and I love him. I like Joan of Arc. I thought she was hilarious. She literally yeeted the lady who was doing the jazzercise or the aerobics or whatever on the stage, like right off the stage and was like, I'm taking over. Fuck you. 
I, I love Joan of Arc, but there's something about Attila the Hun getting getting conned with a Twinkie that just really got me. He's like lured in by a Twinkie, and <laughs> that's how his entire thing starts. Oh my god! I will say, like, okay, so Is favorite it? of all my historical figures would probably be the most entertaining would probably be Napoleon because he's fucking funny. Like the guy oh, who did it sure. nailed it. Like they did all of the basically like the tropes of what people think of Napoleon like now, whether or not they're true. You know what I mean? Which I think is hilarious. And he nailed it. He was a complete ass mm -hmm. the entire time, which is, you know, basically what people thought of Napoleon. He acted like a general child. But my favorite historical figure, I would have to say by far was probably like, Socrates. He was just like this old Socrates. Yeah, I don't know why I call him Socrates. 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 Yeah. My favorite. My favorite beverage. Socrates. Yeah. Anyway, he's a joy. He doesn't yeah. actually say like, anything in English. It's all in ancient Greek. But he fucking is this chubby old dude who walks around in like a robe and is just enjoying life to the fullest. Has no clue what's going on around him, but is just having fun. <laughs> Well, there was a, it's actually funny that you mentioned that there's another scene in this movie that really got me. And that was when they were all at the mall. There's a good about three minute portion, three to four minute portion where it's just showing each and every person, all the historical figures doing something that interests them in the mall, exactly what you expect in a very stereotypical way. Of course, Jonah Arc doing the, uh, the dance class that <laughs> that's funny. I think it's the aerobics. Um, you have a yeah. of the Hun aerobics it's yeah fitness or whatever and then you have attila the hun who finds a metal bat bites into it and starts beating the absolute shit out of a mannequin like that that was funny and then gets a freaking he knocks the head of the mannequin into a basketball hoop but my favorite bit although seeing uh socrates and them like basically impressing girls with their stature. I think the best bit was Beethoven freaking jamming out on every single instrument. Every, <laughs> that was cracking me up. And I love that, like, he was causing, like, a huge crowd around the store, and the guy at the store was getting annoyed by it. Did you notice that? He was like, this is annoying. Like, you have to leave. You can't just play these instruments. Yeah. He... And not buy one. <laughs> yeah, he... <laughs> which nowadays would be a great thing if you brought a bunch of people into the store and you're like a pro musician playing in the store they'd yeah. thank you you know <laughs> just seeing him hitting every single keyboard that he tuned to something slightly different like Beethoven's a freaking rock genius man yeah he did great with it and I love that one of, like they were like oh one of his favorite songs is like bon is a Bon Jovi song I'm pretty sure what they said which is hilarious I also thought it was really funny in this movie that out of the two of them, Bill was definitely the smarter one. Oh, for sure. For sure. So I don't know if this is like... I mean, Ted was just kind of... Ted was just kind of there the entire time. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. I can hear Axel like just being a general terror. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I have to take it. Well, one of the one of the things I'll say is, uh, first off, um, I always knew that Keanu Reeves was a looker, right. right? When he was a teenager, 
dude looked like a little bit of an angel. I'm not going to lie to you. He had a hell of a head of hair. But even back that's then. actually something he did. That's one of the things I was going to say, though, is that didn't Keanu Reeves, like, struggle to get into the acting scene for a while? I think he did. Not because he didn't know how to act, but because he kept getting selected for, like, the same roles over and over and over again because of this movie. The dumb, stereotypical side character. Yeah, I think he did have a hard time with it just because of that. Um, I also think um, that, uh, what was it? It was, like, The Matrix or something like that. That is, is what set him off, set his career, like, off. Yeah. It was. It was The Matrix. Everyone remembers Keanu Reeves from The Matrix, even people that didn't watch The Matrix. Um, but it was just, it was, it's kind of interesting to see a pre modern day Keanu Reeves in like an older movie like this because without you really knowing that it's Keanu Reeves, it's kind of hard to tell. You know, he did. Because he just acts so he differently. Did, um, they did a, this movie is actually really popular. I know you hate it, John, but they actually, it's, it's popular enough. Like it's well loved enough, is what I should say, is that they made another movie recently. For the, it's like a trilogy now. I know the I, when I went on Hulu on it, I saw what was it, Bill and Ted's uh, Modern or something uh, like that, twenty twenty or something stupid. Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure, the or something like that, are totally something like that. I can't I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but yeah, it's it's well loved enough that they literally made a new one now. Like that's how that's. That's how much people like this movie. So, like, it's it's just you. I I hate to say it. Face the music. Villains have face music. Well, that and that's perfectly fine. We've known for a very long time that I dislike that's cult fair. classics. You guys brought me on here to be the the antihero to all of your oh, shenanigans. Oh, you want to hear something funny? When I was reading stuff about this movie, so you know how it's like Bill something Preston Esquire. So he apparently, mm-hmm. I'm not sure this is supposed to be like a fact of the movie or if this is a fan theory. But I, what I read online was that he was supposed to have been a, a lawyer, got injured, and just became this dumb. So that Esquires, because he was a lawyer. So apparently he was really, really smart and graduated high school early and went to law school and then had some sort of accident that caused him to have a brain injury to become the way he is now. The infamous yep. girl. And the infamous bottles crashing behind you. Constant. It's what we get for living next to a bar. What's going to happen when we finally move and there's no sound yeah. of bar, like of bottles being poured into a crash can? You're We're going to have to go it. outside every now so, and then and just do it ourselves. <laughs> so just just let you guys know, they are going to be moving to the state that I'm in and near me, possibly living with me for a while. And it is so quiet here. I think you're going to have anxiety I- from it. There's like no activity at all. There's almost nothing. I don't think I'm having anxiety. I'm just gonna get except like, just exist. Bored. I'm just gonna be bored. That's what it is. I'm just gonna be bored out of my mind. Well, we'll be we'll yeah, be probably. drinking all the time. Mm. There you are. But we were. Uh, okay. Not yep. there. It is again. Uh, we were discussing. Uh, there we go. We were discussing Bill. Apparently, as a fan theory, apparently being an early graduate from high school and becoming a lawyer, they're getting into a massive accident head trauma that gave him the injury that made him the way he is. This is like an actual fan theory? I think it's a, it's, I can't remember, let me, I can't remember, let me see if I can find it where I found that from. I just read it, but I didn't put it even in the notes, because I was like, if this is just a fan theory, like, it's not worth putting anywhere but in the notes, you know what I mean? Uh, Like, even in the notes, but uh, let me see if I can find it. Well, it's, one of the things, while you're looking for that, one of the things I like about uh, Keanu Reeves' character, Ted, 
is that it always cracked me up when he was like, whoa, dude, or whoa, you know, just really, really pronounced, whoa. And there's every single one of them. I've Every time he did it, whoa, it was a meme. And I've seen that gif before. Every single one. No, I, <laughs> no, I think what's awesome about this movie, it, it kind of bridges that, like, 80s chaotic humor with, like, 90s and 2000s. Well, I mean, it probably like, caused humor. all the humor of the 90s and 2000s Perfect. movies like this. But, yeah. But I, I think it, uh, so there's something more organic to this movie about with the humor than something like weird science where like it's not just random chaos it actually has there's actually some weight to the jokes like the, the historical facts like i remember i was asking nadine if uh napoleon actually would have would he be able to speak english i mean he's like a french leader in like the 1800s but I actually looked up the facts and like he actually did not speak English. He'll be like, could you read it? And on top of that, something about Napoleon that I yeah. really find interesting about this movie is uh, he's actually average height, right? Yeah. But I like the fact that they kept in with the tune of what people call him nowadays and just made him shorter than average and compared him to children. Like, that's just, that's hilarious. His height was, I think, like what five five or something. Yeah, he was, was, was like my height. Then. I think in the, even in the movie, he looks like about my height. They just kind of uh, played to the joke that. So I think it was literally just like a random way. fan theory because yeah. I'm seeing other theories right now as I'm scrolling through. I have no idea how I came upon that or where the fuck I came upon that, but I thought it was funny enough to like mention because I was like, "There's no way that's actually possible," but if that is, that'd be pretty funny. Oh, absolutely. Um. I don't know. At, at face value, this is... I'm going to be frank with you guys. I know that you guys really appreciate this movie, but this feels like another one of those 1980s movies where it was at the hype craze of just going through mixing science with a bunch of random fantasy stuff, right? And uh, I believe that this is one of those movies that they were you know, at a coffee shop or drinking and they're half drunk and they wrote on the napkin and this and the entire plot of the movie in three lines. It's another one of those movies. Two dumb high schoolers go back in time and bring all of this all of major all of the major historical <laughs> figures back to their time to do their history project. Like that's literally the sum of the entire movie in a few sentences. First school project. I'm oh, sorry. Axel does not agree with you. I can hear him speaking. Well, Axel doesn't voice agree with you he, either. Well, Axel thinks I'm the smartest person in the room. I'm sorry to tell you, he loves me. Oh yeah, <laughs> really? Yeah. Really? He likes Dan more. <laughs> well, aren't you the only person in that room, Nadine? No, I have the puppy. Oh, so you guys are in your own room. So you're the smartest person in the room, Nadine. That's a pretty high bar to set, right there. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Ronan's pretty. <laughs> Ronan's actually pretty smart. So he got into the fucking food that Axel hasn't figured out how to, the food container that Axel hasn't figured out how to get into since we got it. Like, he got into it in like five seconds, and I was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we had to put stuff on top of it and turn it around so he couldn't get into it. Okay. Uh, real quick, I do want to ask yeah. this. Um, I try to do this for every movie. Because whenever we come across movies like these, it's so outlandish, it's kind of hard to talk about because you're kind of just awe of what is going on the entire movie. Um, so I just got two questions for you. The first one is, guys, what is your favorite scene of the movie? I'll go first. 
I love the Billy the Kid scene because he's he's like I don't know if you guys discuss your favorite historical figure, but he was my uh, favorite one. I knew it was going to be your just, favorite. I don't know if it's that. just because he kind of reminds me of of Han Solo. Like, oh my god! <laughs> but but I don't know. Uh, just that the, the scene You're in the bar. Joking. <laughs> the scene in the bar where there's where like he's like he walks in, he's like, all right, who's I need two people. I need two people's help, and they're and everybody's like shuts up, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll do it." <laughs> like I don't know, I I, I like westerns, and uh, Billy the Kid was my favorite character, and that whole bar scene was uh, your favorite scene. My favorite scene, yeah. It's nice, nice, nice. Nadine, I love a good bar fight. What's your favorite scene? I'm actually not even sure what my favorite favorite scene was. I definitely like the scene where Joan of Arc like yeets the aerobics teacher off the stage honestly it's actually probably napoleon being a psychopath but not at the water slides it's like he loved the water slides don't get me wrong but i think it was when he like refused to share the ice cream with the kids and the kids are like what the fuck is wrong <laughs> <Yep>. with you <laughs> that, that scene was definitely a pair that was that was a good one basically anything napoleon it's like a plus comedy tier like it's gold um I will say that my favorite scene is a very quick one, but it is when Attila, um, Attila the Hun was basically, uh, I do, <laughs> I'm getting distracted. Um, it's when Attila the, God damn it! <laughs> He's literally having a dream. <laughs> it's basically when Attila the Hun, Go ahead, Attila the Hun. It. it's when Attila the Hun was eating chicken, and then... He just opens his eyes wide, sees a blinding light, and a Twinkie comes off screen to point towards him. He gets lured by the Twinkie. That was probably the most comedic thing I've seen in this, like, for the entire movie. That cr had me cracking up. Whoever played Attila the Hunt is a genius. Oh, you know what? I changed... He is a genius. I changed my mind. My favorite scene is when they're in prehistoric times, and they were all chewing gum, and they had to put it back together, the, the phone booth attempt antenna. And somehow, some way, they managed to find tin cans to also, like, use the gum to glue on there to fix it. And when they go to leave, they have two cavemen chewing bubble gum with, like, a fucking torch in their hand, terrified of it. They were the only ones in history, other than, like, a couple people from, like, the medieval times when they met the princesses, that actually reacted to the phone booth. Like, no one seemed to blink an eye that it was there. Like you wouldn't think at one point in time in history people were like, uh, "What the fuck is this?" Like they definitely didn't have telephones. My second question was, why on earth did they use a two by two phone booth? Why? And how did they fit all those people inside? They of it? literally had them standing ass to ass on its side to stand inside of it. I know they did. And what they would do is they'd have a random character in each scene, I know it, stuff themselves into the back of it while they were trying to act out whatever they were doing. I can understand why it was literal hell to be in that phone booth. But my question yeah. is, why like, a phone booth? Bigger phone like, booths out there. Why a phone booth? Why does it have to look like someone just welded a bunch of aluminum together and put some plastic on it? Like, why a phone booth and why is it so bad? So... So going back to the interesting facts, so like I always thought that it was just a direct reference to uh, Doctor Who. I thought so too. But it sounds like they just kind of just picked a phone booth. Yeah, I think, unironically, because Doctor Who was not very big in America at the time, like at all. 
in this time period. It only got really big, like, in the 90s and early 2000s. Like, early 2000s was its peak. It's died down. But Doctor Who was not in America, and if it was, it was not big at the time. So they must have accidentally stumbled on the literal thing that Doctor Who was based off of. A telephone booth traveling through time. Are you sure they wouldn't get copyrighted for this? Because they actually copyrighted this. Technically, no, because it's a different country. Yeah, but like, it's a different, it's a different country. The copyright laws are different. So ridiculous to me. So it doesn't. But I mean, it's it's also completely different, like material that they're they're do. Like it's the same premise, but completely different style of storytelling or like. Well, they. Oh, uh, yeah. And on top of that, like the phone booth is not even the same phone booth. It's like a phone booth that yeah. you would see in New York. In the US, not in it. Yeah, like in New York, but not like where they are. So it makes sense that um, like they wouldn't get hit for it, especially since the storytelling is, is like it's like a high school yeah. learning yeah, it's, education. It's not doing like, for the same market. You know what I mean? I know. Well, no. I'll be entirely honest with you. The market of Doctor Who has changed from middle-aged women to, like, 17 to 15-year-old girls. And then it changed to, like, 40-year-old men all within the span of, like, 30 years. So I'm not That's sure true. what the market... It's, it's probably a similar, like... like it's uh, like a 15-year-old fifteen year old men type of thing, you know? But, but in the 80s, I don't think they were... There was a lot of... Uh, I mean, 15-year-old boys, they're not in, men yet. In different countries. Uh, anyways... <laughs> But I'm right anyways, but um long long story short, it was just that struck me a lot weirder than it should have because as a very avid fan of Doctor Who that's watched from season one to the most recent. Um when I saw that, I almost expected the fucking Doctor Who theme song to start while they were going through the fucking tunnel. Like it was it was that identical to what was uh even how the freaking thing spun a little bit. Like if that was unintentional, it, it did. It, and when they first did it, it kind of it, the way it turned slightly when it was going through the tunnel made it look like it was slightly spinning. It was almost identical. It like literally sailed through it in most of the movie. So it might have been only one part because outside that, they literally like are standing up on it when it's sideways and it's going through there pretty straight, like not spinning at all. Also, I one of the other things about the movie that really strikes me too is how the entire movie's talking about their uh what they did to leave their effect on the future. But it ne- first off, it never tells them what they did. They, I know it says their music calmed the civilization. It never really shows what the music is, which is kind of funny. And two, by the end of the movie, the only good person that's a musician is Rufus. Everyone else is absolute ass, like ass cheeks and a bundle of like very disgusting underwear like it was well i won't go they kind of explain it though that they like they explain it throughout the movie that bill and ted are literally like just trying to get eddie van halen in the band so they can be a better band but they don't actually even know how to play and at the end of the movie when they're done with the whole like traveling through history thing bill does say to ted like we should probably learn how to play there's no point in just getting eddie van halen if we don't even know how to play and they like agree to actually learn how to play the guitars. And then Rufus even says like the two girls from like the medieval times and the middle ages or wherever they were fucking from, they literally said like, you know, they're in the band, they get better, you know, because 
at the time that this whole thing started, they hadn't even actually really started a real band yet because they didn't even have all the people that were supposed to play in it. Yeah. And that probably is probably one of my favorite lines at the end is where they're like, we should probably learn how to play our instruments. Uh, or yeah. when Rufus on the very last scene of the movie is like, they get better, trust me. And his face <laughs> yeah. of utter disgust pops up. He's like, don't worry, they get better. Like, I swear, please. <laughs> but That's good stuff. that, I mean, I don't really have much else to go into on here. The movie was just pure, utter, adult, unadulterated chaos. Um, and it was very, it was very easy to follow, but it's very hard to pick up specific scenes because it's just like, a what is that, what is that one horror comedy that you made us watch a little while back, Nadine? Evil Dead? I don't remember. I, uh, Evil Dead? Evil, yeah. Kind of like that. Um, because there's just so many, like, there's actually a bunch of good scenes in there, but it's got that same slapstick, constant attempt at comedy that a lot of uh, the 1980s movies do that's really hard to pick up on specific scenes unless they're very memorable if that makes sense it does but i, I mean i guess i mean yeah like i i remember most of this and same thing with same with uh, army of darkness i remember most of army of darkness but these it, are the type Ar of movies that i watch all the time like i grew up with them <laughs> Well, you're also you guys are also I, I I know that sounds bad, but you guys actually grew up in a different generation than I did. Because in the nineties, there's like three different generations, I swear to God, of of kids that grew up literally in the beginning of the nineties, middle and end of the nineties. And they all experienced a different childhood entirely from the previous one. So you guys grew up within that window where all of the eighties movies were still all hyped up, and I grew up the end. Where I didn't give a crap about movies until the early two thousands. Uh, I mean, I grew up in a time where some of the eighties movies were hyped up, but not all of them. I was like in that middle mark where I was in. I was born in ninety one, so in two thousand I was nine. You know, so like I was still watching some shows that came out in like the two er, really early. 2000s because i was so young <laughs> I mean, it, also has, it also has to deal with uh like what our parents grew up with because my my dad grew up with like atari and stuff like that he was a big gaming person which is probably why i game a lot because that uh... my dad grew up with atari too but he was not a great very big gaming person my older brother was and he was the one who was born in the 80s who got me into all the 80s movies and things like that and my mom and my dad also got me into a lot of movies. My dad would always try to stay as modern as possible. So he would watch like things like Kill Bill with me and like Underworld, even though they weren't the most popular movies at the time, they were his kind of thing. But I would also watch like cartoons that were from like the 70s and the 60s. And then my mom got me into The Princess Bride, Clue, things like that. I will say though, there's some movies that we've watched that I would probably go back and watch again and again and again and for example, Princess Bride being one of them. Like when the yeah, movie is outstandingly good, you don't need to remember it. You just need to watch it. But one of these movies, which is um for me it's not, but for you guys it's a good movie. But if you guys rate this a 10, I'm probably going to slap you. Dan not a 10, but... Yeah, I would say the, uh... Well, before we, before we go ahead and rate it, uh, Nadine, do we have anything else to add on before we go into the next section? I How think Dan was going to say something. We're doing fine. Uh, 
Oh no, I was just saying like, yeah, you're you're right. This is not way up there. Like this isn't like an outstanding movie that everybody should watch. But like, I think it's just a good time to me. But we'll get into the rating. Yeah. Um, I did want to like circle back real quick because we did mention Missy real quick uh, with that. I I wanted to kind of go back to that because I. It's just something that they keep mentioning in the movie, but they kind of gloss over. It's really funny, but really fucked up if you think about it. Do you know what I mean? What? Yeah, Missy, Missy. what about her? Bill's... Okay, so they kind of gloss... They, like, repeat it over and over again in the movie. They don't make it, like, the clearest, but it's still, like, they make it clear that she was a senior while Bill and Ted... We're in high school and Bill had asked her out for prom or something like that before she married his dad and that he has a thing for her all the time. Like, and I just think it's kind of weird that his dad is really into someone that is almost the same age as his son and is also having sex with her in his son's bedroom and his son knows it. Like he's like clear. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, that she insists and insists that Bill call her mom. Like, what happened to Bill's actual mom? That's what I want to know. Probably left him. Probably left him. Yeah, that, that is a really weird, like, why did they include that in this movie? Like, it could right, be normal. It's like parent, an unnecessary thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like crap really they that's the same crap odd. they do with all these 80s movies. Like take weird science. Not really. Take weird science. This they just had to have one. a sex scene, didn't they? They just had to. They just had to throw it in there. Which by the way, we discussed explicitly like that was kind of freaking disgusting, you know? Yeah. But it's the same this vibe is also from weird. this fucking like, thing. Sh- but in this one, it's not like it's a kid that's having sex with an adult. Well, technically a I'm gonna be honest with you with a 30 year age gap. It's it's kinda like a kid. It's fucking it's fucking weird though, right? And like I think the weirdest probably part of all of it is that Missy, who was in school, high school with Bill and Ted, insists that Bill calls her mom. Like, that's not the weirdest part, but I feel psychologically that's got it. Like, how do you get your mind to that point that you're like, no, you have to call me mom, even though you're only, like, three or four years younger than I am. Yeah, that, that's something yeah, that, like, I blocked out of this movie as well. Like, I only remembered once I rewatched it for this uh, for this episode. Right. Watching that again, I was like, that's a little disturbing. Is Like, it's funny, because the way the movie's beat is kind of like glosses over and tries to make a joke out of it and it kind of does make it funny but if you think about it i'm like that is pretty fucked up (laughs) it's really fucked up well when did uh i mean it's giving me a lot of vibes from stacy's mom (laughs) that song (laughs) right yeah when i saw i didn't want to say it because stacy's mom came out like 20 years later right and has nothing to do with this movie but like when i saw her I literally was thinking Stacy's mom. Like that's one hundred percent what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's let's get going over the next part so that way we don't belabor the point too much. Is it or isn't it, Dan? Yes, I I definitely do think this is a cult classic movie. Uh, Bill and Ted. It has its own little lore surrounding it, and like. I think there's like a whole fandom of fan theories and people that like subscribe this movie as like one of their top ten movies ever. So it's it's definitely cult classic in my mind. Um, I'm gonna be entirely honest, Nadine. We're probably all gonna agree here. 
Um, it is by all means a cult classic. It has every single trope starting feature of a cult classic. As Dan said, there are people still discussing it. For example, her Ma Satori's dad absolutely adores this movie, which is why I didn't bring it up with them because I didn't want to stand out there listening to him talk about it for three hours. Um, and <laughs> like, like this movie is just—it's one of those movies that is a trendsetter, and you can see the effects of the movie way beyond its time. And it wasn't very popular on release. Like this, is hands down, a golden definition of one. So yeah, it's a cult classic by all means. Yeah, I agree too. I also think it has some music that has a bit of a following to it, so that like adds to its cult classic status. On top of that, they have like two movies that came out after it that like literally people who only people who are huge fans of, of Bill and Ted, which I am. I haven't seen it yet, but I've been kind of like waiting for a day where I have enough time to just watch all three in a row to do it. But people who like really love Bill and Ted, like they still watch these movies. They really wanted that movie to come out. So, and they made it for them just literally for the fans. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's kind of like the second, second kill bill a little bit. Not at all. Well, Not really. No. More like the second Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Yeah, that's it. Like, that's it. That's a better one. Yeah. They didn't have to make Army of Darkness, and they did because people love it so much. They made a fucking TV exactly. show because people love it so much. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. All right. All right. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my rating for last because you guys are not gonna like it. Uh, let's start with Dan again. Dan, what do you think of this movie? What would you rate it? All right. I'll uh I'll give it an eight. Um, to me, it's like a. a good movie that you can put on and just enjoy it uh i think if you think of it about it as like a high school project it's about an 80 percent. it's like a b so it's definitely a good movie you would compare it to a high school project wouldn't you <laughs> that's what it feels like uh nadine following with dan what would you give it i just give it an eight so following with dan what would you give it oh nadine? i was like you the way you said it was confusing we we're both like what Come on, man. I'm sorry. I don't go out much. I live at home. Whatever. Fine, Nadine. Just give me a rating. It's an eight for me. I love this movie. I grew up with this movie. It's nostalgic for me. There is a lot of issues that are in this movie, but I think overall it is just supposed to be a feel-good movie, and it's just supposed to be a movie that's like makes you feel great when you watch it and laugh and be like, they're they're not the brightest in the world, but they're they, they're great and they're obviously really nice people. So it makes me feel good on the inside. <laughs> okay. Um, extracting the fact that Keanu Reeves is in this movie, um, because Keanu Reeves is a ten out of ten, no matter what movie he's in. Um, That's straight. Extract, yeah, extracting that. Extracting that. Unfortunately, guys, I'm gonna have to give this movie about a four. A four. It's out better of 10. than I thought. <laughs> I was going to give it a three, but there's a but based on how I rate things, three is really close to a certain bad movie that Dan made us watch a while back. What are you talking about anymore? Oh, fucking surf Nazis must die, dude. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but and I'll, I'll give you a good reason why. Um, we've done this podcast what about a year now? Would you say Nadine a little bit longer? Maybe longer. I'm not sure. It feels like we, we've watched a lot of movies in this time. And of those, the majority of those movies, there's, a, there's typically a certain type of movie that Nadine and Dan really, really like. 
that I really don't like. It has nothing to do with the movie. It's just my preference. And this movie is fell under basically that type of movie. It's got some really good liners. It's got a lot of good content in it. But to be honest, a lot of it was weird. Um, and it was just really hard for me to watch. It was actually rather boring for the good 80% of the movie. Except for Napoleon. That glorious bastard. I love Napoleon. So that is the reason why I'm giving it a four. Because Keanu Reeves is in it. Fair enough. I will I will watch Keanu Reeves even if he's literally just standing in place for two hours. That man is literally perfect. Well, there's two more Phil and Ted's. Yeah, there is. They're both considered cult classics. Please don't. <laughs> please don't make me watch two more. It was a joke. I'm sorry. I take it back. Keanu Reeves is great, but it's not worth it. <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, would we recommend the movie, Dan? No. I would. I'm sorry. <laughs> John, what the I, fuck? Uh, I asked Dan, <laughs> not you. I don't care. Oh, God, I don't care. I want to get it over with. I'm not recommending the movie. No, absolutely not. No one no one needs to watch this movie. Dan? Well, I, I definitely would recommend this movie if you uh, just want kind of some simple comedic, uh, a simple comedic enjoyable afternoon to watch this movie. I think I actually like the second one better. I haven't seen it in a while, but I kind of want to watch it after this. So uh, definitely recommend this. Okay. Well, unfortunately, I, I'm sorry. Fortunately, we're not doing a podcast on the second movie. So not yet. Don't you dare. Eventually, dude, <laughs> don't do it to me, this. Nadine. Um, I definitely would recommend this because I think this movie's fucking hilarious, and John has just got something wrong with him. So. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> These are cult movies. It's almost like they're targeted to certain types of audiences and a very minor amounts of people follow each one of these movies and i just so happen not to be in any of them man <laughs> am i so wrong yeah every single movie yeah i'm just like nah i don't like this movie this movie ain't good to me no no thank you dan nadine's like what's wrong with you you grew up wrong like thanks <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> yeah uh, no uh, yeah thank you uh-huh uh, what 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 am I doing now? <laughs> Would you recommend this movie? He already recommended yeah. it. He already yes, he did. Oh, he did. Oh shit. Yeah. I okay. Because John was talking. Yeah. Up, that's he why just I forgot. Casually ignored what he said. All right. Before just went to go into roasting me. Before we go to close the podcast out, I don't know if I said this in the last episode because the last one was supposed to be the Valentine's Day episode. So happy belated Valentine's Day. But by the time this uh, episode comes out, it'll be past Dan's birthday, which is on the eleventh. So happy birthday month, Dan. You're welcome. What the? What kind? Were you speaking Klingon there? Yeah. <laughs> I said Deku. Dan's gonna be 35. Happy birthday, Dan. He's gonna be old. Holy <laughs> fuck! He's 10 years older than me. Yeah. Man, I did not realize this. God. I need to start. I, I need to buy you a casket. Damn, it's getting close. I am completely comfortable with my age. I am a uh, proud 35 year old, and I uh, drink a lot to forget no... all your 20s. I totally respect yeah. it. Yep. Exactly. Except, well, I forgot all I forgot all my twenty twenty, so now I'm just joking to remember them. <laughs> well, uh, I feel like maybe ten years older than me, but I bought a house first. I win. Dan, uh, Dan, the one thing I would like to say is that Dan's probably forgotten that in his twenties, not much hurt him anymore because now every time he drinks heavy enough, he wakes up the next day and he literally looked like a car hit him. 
Yeah. Yeah, I drink <laughs> yeah, if I drink a lot, the very next day I wake up and I'm drinking again. You guys drink, you wake up, and you just want to die. That's not true. Not no, even. I don't get hangovers. No. I wake up, I'm like, at the most, I'm tired, and I just crack open another drink. I'm usually pretty okay. Dude, her liver has got to be completely purple at this point from suffocation. <laughs> I, uh... I wake up, I crawl down to 7-Eleven, chug two Gatorades in a bus. Oh, dude, you and me both, man. Every time I have a bad night of drinking, I wake up and I see a Gatorade next to him. Like, oh, sweet holy water of Jesus. All right. If you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk to us about movies, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. Snazzy is spelled S-N-A-S-Y. You can also find us on Instagram at Snazzy Podcast. Or you can just email us at she's not a slut yet at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps us get out there, and I'm a real find us. Just a heads up, we will be reviewing Dan's non-list pick. I'm excited about this. Dan's excited about this. I don't know what the fuck John's thinking. He's probably not excited. I'm not. I looked at the name. I looked at the name, and I'm already uninterested. So this is. You've got something oh, wrong with him. I, the rest of us okay. just ignore John. The rest of us? There's only freaking two people. Like, oh, great. You're talking the entire audience hates me, too. I see how it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, yeah. Okay, Dan. <laughs> anyway, Dan's non-list pick is The Mighty Ducks, released in 1992. Next, so make sure to tune in again, because it's going to be an awesome movie, and I cannot wait to watch it. This episode will be released February 24th. That way, we can all enjoy Dan's birthday, and John and Satori can enjoy Valentine's Day. Yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, if that's the case, bye, guys. Bye. Bye.